All right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to season two of the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, and I'm a lady talking about sex. And today we have a very interesting topic. And I just want to preface that if anybody has experienced sexual violence or sexual assault and may be triggered by the following conversations, um, I would preface with ease. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about sexual assault and sexual violence, in particular in the McGill context. So today I have Ava with me, another fellow McGill student. Ava, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Ava. Uh, I'm also a McGill student. Felicia and I are both in our last year at McGill. Um, I'm here today to share my story as a survivor. Um, I just wanted to make it clear that I'm in no ways an expert when it comes to sexual violence. What I hope to uh, get from sharing this experience is to, most importantly, make survivors feel less alone. You're not alone, and it's not your fault. And with this, we want to highlight the systemic barriers that prevent institutions like law enforcement and uh, education from protecting survivors of sexual violence. Thank you, Alva, for coming on and talking to me today. So to give people kind of an idea of where we are in our lives and what's been going on at McGill, in December of 2020, there was some alleged sexual violence claims, um, particularly happening with first-year students. Um, To set the scene up, essentially this first-year male was sexually assaulting, I think four or five victims came forward. And in those events, because of the pandemic and because of kind of the social media attraction that a lot of sexual violence claims and accusations get, there were a lot of Google Docs circulating. And the perpetrator actually, via these Google Docs, admitted to raping these young women. After a petition went around in Montreal that uh, received, I think, about 50,000 signatures, which was actually a really big win for those survivors, McGill made a statement stating that they were going to look into it. Fast forward. February 2021, McGill has not followed up and the perpetrator is still on virtual campus. Uh, I, I think it's important to note that because Ava and I have been at McGill for four years now, this is something that didn't shock us. It didn't surprise us. And McGill's reaction didn't really make us feel better about the situation. Um, I would love to hear, Ava, kind of your personal reflection as this was all going on, especially to note that this was all going on during exam season of our first full-term online semester amidst a pandemic. Um, So it was a very, very heavy few weeks for me as someone who had never experienced sexual violence to that degree, and who has been seeing this as a McGill student, as an older McGill student. I'm not old, but like older. <laughs> um, I've seen McGill do this time in and time out. I was wondering, how how did you reflect on that situation? Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, obviously, 
it was a hard time for everyone, as you said, even if you haven't had experience with sexual violence, it's just incredibly disturbing to know that your school, which you think wants to protect you and care for you, you know, isn't doing its job. And I find that really disappointing. Um, and I found what was most disappointing is that, you know, I've had an experience that happened in high school back in 2016. Um, and it really reminded me just of like my experience and the fact that it is, it was 2020 at the time and my experience happening in 2016, how little has changed. And it just made me really upset. So yeah, yeah, it was definitely eye-opening. I thought we had come farther, if I'm being honest. I thought we'd come much farther. Um, but clearly there's a lot of work left to do. So I guess I will start by sharing my story. Um, and yeah, yeah, so trigger warning, if uh, you know anyone is, you know, might get triggered by this, like please feel free to like stop this podcast now. Um, but if not, um, well, here we go. <laughs> so basically, um, in high school, it was 2016, I was in grade 11. Um, I was invited to a private boys high school's homecoming. Um, and so essentially what the party was, was that they rented out like a kind of underground dance studio in Toronto. And they were like selling tickets from people from other schools and stuff. And, you know, I thought it was super cool that I was invited. Um, so I drank a lot to compensate, I guess. I was really nervous. Um, so me and my best friend, we were preying and whatever. Um, and we get to the place. We're already hammered out of our minds. And I just remember hooking up with one of the guys that had invited me just kind of in the middle of the dance floor, like people in high school do, you got no room to go to. Um, and like, it was fine, except that like, I like really, really got like very, very intoxicated. Um, and so I don't really remember the night much, um, but what I do remember is that, okay, well I have to set the scene, I guess. So there was this huge dance floor and the only like barrier or private area was like either the bathroom or there was like a in those sushi restaurants they have those like separators between tables it was like that it was really sketchy um and it was like in a corner somewhere and so the last thing I guess I remember from that night is like pretty much being unable to move on the verge of being unconscious but kind of falling in and out of consciousness and I just remember a guy like taking off, I had a bodysuit on, taking off my bodysuit and like feeling me and like kissing me as I'm like not even standing. And he was like fingering me and, and I just remember being conscious enough to know what was kind of going on, but unconscious, like just limp. So I couldn't move. Um, so that was really, really terrible. I ended up waking up apparently um, well, I ended up waking up in the hospital that night. My dad had to come get me. Um, and that was a whole other disappointing thing in itself. Um, so the next morning I woke up and I, first of all, my day started off being, my parents going to be so mad at me. I got so drunk. I woke up in the hospital. Like, that's so terrible. And that's kind of all I was thinking about. And then 
as I'm waking up, I have this flashback of what I just described earlier, like me kind of like being conscious and, and not, and that happening to me and just kind of like falling into tears. And I immediately went to my parents, which I mean, I don't think a lot of people would just go around to their parents and tell them that they've been sexually assaulted. I don't know what was through my mind. I guess I have a really good relationship with them. Um, so I went to them and I was like, oh my God, I think that this happened. And obviously they were super upset. And so their instinct was to call the police. Um, and so at that time I was like, okay, I guess that's what you have to do. Right. So um, we ended up calling the police. Um, they came like that night to my house um and they instantly started asking me those questions that you hear that police ask you but you you're I was in denial that that stuff was happening I thought you know people asking me what I wore or how much I drank like I knew that that was a thing that happened but for it to happen to you it just like was like wow like it really does it, it really is like that they were like what were you wearing and I was like oh this bodysuit like it's kind of like revealing you know they were like oh like this like they're the way that they like received my answers were like clearly like it was clearly that they were judging me they asked me how much I had to drink I was like you know a couple shots I mean I literally am such a lightweight like I will die like every time I drink it's actually a really big problem <laughs> but um they were like yeah you drank a lot huh and I was like yeah like I did and I don't know my parents were there just like disappointed and like I could feel that like I was kind of being blamed for what had happened and I and I felt that I felt like I was to blame for what had happened based off of the reactions in the room anyway so they immediately Can I were, like, ask okay. an ignorant question yeah? were the police officers all male identifying or were were there no. was there a mix no, there was one man and then this woman. But she was a very kind of Listen, like, just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're a feminist. Yeah. I could tell. I could tell. Um, I could tell she was I mean, I know that they weren't like I didn't feel like they were being malicious or anything, but like I could tell they just didn't know how to handle the situation. That's what I kind of got from it. Um, but yeah, it was one woman and one guy. If I remember correctly, it was so long ago. Um the instinct was then to bring me to the hospital to do a rape kit because obviously I wanted to find if there's DNA anywhere or if anything had actually happened, like uh, penetration-wise. Um, all I knew was that there was fingering. I didn't know. I was a virgin at the time, so it was important to me to like know whether you know something really happened. I mean, it would have anyway been important regardless of whether I was a virgin. Well, or for STIs too, and like pregnancy too, and exactly, yeah, that's yeah. Which is so, terrifying. Yeah, I was like, imagine I have like, like an STI and like I didn't even like choose Consent? to have sex. Like, yeah, that fucking would blow. Um, but <laughs> anyway, I got to the the sick kids hospital, and I remember, yeah, my dad walked me there. It was really awkward. Anyway, um, I got there, and they did a rape. She did a rape kit on me. This really lovely nurse, actually, she was like the only one out of my entire experience. I was like, I feel like understood. And what she said to me actually really relieved me, like temporarily. She was like, you know, like, I just want to let you know that like, you didn't lose your virginity unless you consented to. So like, don't, please don't like take this as like, 
what what was it like what was it to lose your virginity like it wasn't okay and we don't even know if it happened but if it did like please like and for some reason that really made me feel a lot better um and also i think it was one of the first times i actually heard the word consent so that was great um <laughs> which is kind of crazy um but yeah anyway did a bunch of swabs very uncomfortable um but in the end they didn't find any like stis or anything but what they she did find was there were some abrasions in the genital area so um, it could have been the fingering it could have been penetration to this day i don't know but i'll have to live with that i guess um but i regardless something did happen i don't think it's important necessarily like i think the more important thing is that your consent was violated regardless of it was if it was fingering or if it was penetration like it's you didn't consent to anything and i think that's the important thing yeah and like I also like wasn't even able to like anyway never mind um but yeah no that's definitely not the most important part but anyway that's what the institutions care about is to find you know evidence that something did happen because otherwise it doesn't matter right um so anyway um that had happened and then afterwards my dad came with me to my high school um to inform like my principal that like something had happened um and that like maybe i should be given some accommodations for schoolwork because i was like really distracted and um you know just not there and really sad um which was great i was like okay great like maybe i can hand some assignments in later like no stress like whatever but then what ended up happening was that as great of in the intention that my principal had he would pull me out of class a lot and like while i was like trying not to think about it and like pull me out into the hallway and be like oh like how are you doing like how are you holding up and i'm just like i don't want to talk about this i'm in a hallway in my high school like the doors are open like also know? like did you ever have a relationship with your principal like this before no so how comforting just some strange old man just being like how's it going kid <laughs> I know. And I was like, anything I say to you, like, you're not going to understand, first of all. Mm -hmm. And, like, second of all, like, at least, like, pull me, like, into, like, the office or, like, refer me to, like, a guidance counselor or something. Like, I don't know. But, like, at the time, I was like, okay, I guess this is the way it is. So I would kind of, I kind of felt forced to talk to him. I was like, he's trying to do something, but, like, it's not really making me feel much better. But anyway, so that kind of happened for a little while. And eventually, it faded away like you stopped doing that i think just with time he probably just like forgot which thank god um and <laughs> thank god and, i didn't want that help please like <laughs> no like please like i'm like literally thinking about it all the time and then the minute i'm not thinking about it he miraculously shows up to my classroom and pulls me out of the room so dramatically and i'm like everyone knows something's going on and i don't want anyone to know anyway so yeah, that's kind of my story. Uh, it's been a long time since then, and I've obviously had a really long healing process. And finally today, I feel comfortable sharing it with a wider audience. Um, it's definitely a long taken a long time for me to get to this point, um, but yeah, just what happened at McGill recently just really made me sad, and I felt like my story. Um, might be useful just to illustrate how little has changed so yeah thank you for sharing i really do appreciate it and i i really do 
because I know Ava personally, I feel like I remember when you first joined the organization. I okay, actually, I feel like we should tell the story of how your boyfriend, because I feel like this is so relevant to who you are now from who you are when I met you, at least in relation to like sexual health and just being empowered to share your experience and share your opinions and your values and your views. Do you want to maybe just briefly and then we'll go into like the actual problems that we're going to (laughs) discuss? Yeah. So this is really funny, actually. So I, um, basically my career path as it stands right now, I want to become a sex therapist, right? And all the important people in my life know that. And I was in the metro, the supermarket near our uh, university community. And we were just buying some food and my boyfriend, Phil, is like, hey, Ava, this is Felicia. She has a sex podcast. And Felicia was like, wow, like, way to introduce me or whatever. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, no, like, you don't understand. Like, I think this is so great. Like, like I want to like, have a podcast, too, about, like, sexual health. Like, I want to be a sex therapist. Like. Um, (laughs) and then Felicia was like, okay, well, like, I'll, like, DM you, like, follow me on Instagram, and, like, we'll, like, get to know each other, we'll, like, see what, if there's a place for you within, like, sex and self in the organization, I'm like, well, okay, great, but... Yeah, no, and I remember you were, well, when the introduction was, I don't even think he said sex podcast, I think he just said sex club, and my favorite thing is, like, watching, like... (gasps) heterosexual men just describe what I do to other people because it's just it's so like it just catches everyone off of off guard um but it was so sweet and he he was like oh she likes all these things and I was like okay she's a great fit for the podcast like we'll get her to do something like I found a place for you and I was like okay of course I would love to have you and over the last when was that in like September so like the the Mm -hmm. last like six-ish months did I do the math right six-ish months. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Half a year. Yeah. You were so, so, so timid. So I would always give you these like new responsibilities and you weren't always sure like, oh, is this okay? Is this good enough? Whatever. And you were always producing great stuff. And we'll tell you the tea later at the end of the podcast of the extra responsibility I've been giving Ava, but just to see you (laughs) flourish and for you to just trust in me that you can share this story and share this experience with me on this platform is is just it's it's what I want everybody that interacts with sex and self and the podcast to feel I just want you to feel empowered and to see that grow over time and to to see you feel more comfortable in your own story is like it it makes me like I feel like a little proud mom I just get so excited for you and like and I want you to have I want you to have agency over this because it's not a positive situation at all, but it is it is part of your journey, and not that it was ever it, not that you ever deserved anything that ever came from that, but to see you take the power back and take the narrative back is just so 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 empowering, and I just like I'm so proud of you. And I'm Aww. so happy that you are so comfortable sharing it because I know it takes a long time. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much. I mean, I literally didn't even like question it in my mind whether this was a good idea because like sex and self and ladies, let's talk about sex. I mean, they're like 
within the same organization, but they make me feel so safe. And just like, I know that like by sharing the story on this platform specifically, that something meaningful will come out of it. And I know like of all people who I'd want to like have this conversation with on a podcast that will reach many people that it would be you because you make me feel safe and you're just so intelligent and well-spoken and I'm just so happy to be here. Oh, I love this. So sweet. I know. I love this. <laughs> Can this whole podcast be about this? <laughs> just the happy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think circling back around to your story and then to like both of our reflections at McGill, I think the biggest thing that happened when the whole situation with the sexual assault allegations happened in December was that McGill wasn't doing enough because all of the victims and the perpetrator were in McGill residence. And I think the reason that I think both of us were reflecting on institutions is because all of the victims were in the care of McGill. Because when you're on residence, if you're on campus and you are violated in that capacity, it is the school's responsibility to support you. Um, quote. Let's put quotations around that because... There's a lot of uh, sketchy shit when it comes to, you know, sexual violence on campus. And if it happens at an, a school event, if it happens on res, it's very like wishy-washy. But I think the thing that took me the most, like the most back was just that these victims were like 17 and 18 year olds and they were living in a place that McGill provided for them. They were on res. So in my head, I was like, if they want to run and hide, there's literally nowhere to go. Mm. And so I think that's why I was so pissed at McGill because I was just like, these people are literally in your care and you can't even support them and provide safe spaces for them. Or even just like to this day, I don't know if this happened. So I'm sure if you like let us know on Instagram, if anyone has the, the details, but I don't know if that guy is still in res. I don't know if he's banned from certain reses. I don't know if they moved the victims out of their dorm room. I can imagine it's traumatizing as fuck to be raped in your dorm and then have to continue to live there for the next whatever rest of the semester. So I guess, like, I would love to hear what you think, Ava, about kind of like the systems that were supposed to protect you because you were a minor at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the girls that were, you know, violated were minors at McGill, but how was that experience, especially in like the 2016, 2017 era of like, what were you wearing? Did you ask to be mm -hmm. raped type of aesthetic that we were really <laughs> doing? Yeah. Um, well, I know a big part with the whole police investigation thing was to get some of the boys to talk because, well, we had like when apparently I was found by someone, uh, they called the hospital, the ambulance and that, that got me to the hospital. But with me was left like a backpack of some guy and, and inside the backpack, they found like a name and like a or like with the schedule on it, like, you know, in high school, you get your little schedule. And you carry it um, around. Yeah, and you carry it around, like, anyway. 
Um, and so there was like a name. So that was like kind of important, right? Um, and so, and we knew that it was like, the party was organized by guys from this private school in Toronto. Um, and so the whole investigation was like, okay, let's, let's get some of these boys that were at the party to talk because someone must have known what had happened. And um, yeah, I guess it's tricky because like, was it a school organized event? Was it not? Like, that's still kind of unclear. All we know is that the private school kind of refused to have anything to do with it. Um, the, like the, the case. Um, and a lot of the boys in the community were asked, people that had invited me, like the guy with the name and everything. And all of the, the fathers of these entitled boys knew that they didn't have to talk. They're all lawyers and like, oh, my son, his rights are that like, there's no evidence against him. So he doesn't have to speak. So they didn't want to even contribute to the conversation. They were just like so afraid that their son would like get Your caught. perfect child. Right. So that was really frustrating. And I guess what kind of like how, how my thoughts kind of aligned with that. I was like, I don't know. Like I'm really mad at like the school and these boys that come from the school. But at the end of the day, it's this guy who did something to me. And like, that's on him, you know, and we can blame boys private schools for socializing guys to be entitled little pricks entitled over <laughs> women's bodies but they didn't like the school didn't rape me the like the rapist did he did so yeah and so I guess so many of these resources that were given I mean I wasn't given but now all these resources that are available are so after the fact because it's just like a norm that like you're gonna get sexually assaulted and then they're gonna deal with you after but to actually blame the rapist is like it's like radical <laughs> you know and it's, it's so interesting how little focus is paid attention to that so i guess with this whole mcgill thing like we're blaming mcgill and yes mcgill is not doing a great job and even if they are doing something, they should be public about it because as of now, everyone is just convinced that like McGill is just not a safe place anymore. And if you are sexually assaulted, apparently McGill doesn't care. Like maybe they do, maybe they are doing something, but as of now, he's still in friggin' online school. He might still be in res. We don't know. And like, they should show us that they're doing something, but at the end of the day, it's his fault. No, absolutely. And it's, it becomes a very, like, I love that you said, it's a radical idea to blame rapists. But, like, mm. it really is, especially in the way that our judicial system prosecutes rapists, because it's always putting the victim up on the stand and never putting the rapist. Um, and it's actually really funny. I spoke to my roommate in Sweden about this, and she basically the way their system is laid out is if you accuse someone of sexual violence, they have to go on the stand and basically unaccuse themselves, which is like a really, really, they're also a socialist country. So I think everyone knows where oh, I stand there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's, it's actually really interesting because maybe something like that, some sort of system like that would have given you a little bit more clarity in your experience because those boys would have had to at least disprove 
like mm-hmm. that they were either not there or that they didn't do that to you. But yeah, it's really, really funny how much emphasis we put on institutions like the judicial system and like the schools and, but not the rapists. And it's, it's hard because it's like, you made the note that there are so many resources for like the after effect um, after you're raped or after you're violated, but it becomes so, so, so challenging because of course the answer is the rapist, but it's when you're dealing with humans, we're all faulty and some of us are a little cuckoo crazy. And uh, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly where to go and, and where to go with these situations like this that are so like, there's such a big umbrella underneath like, or sexual violence is such a big umbrella. And there's so, there's an array of ways you can be violated essentially. Mm. And so it's really challenging to figure out, do we need institutional infrastructure changes or do we need, do we just really need to reform, you know, the, the court system and how we prosecute rapists to like prioritize that it's not the victim that has to prove it. It's the accused like that switch. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like it has to be like, everyone has to kind of work together, which I know is like the hardest and most complicated way to go about it. But like, there's no one way like mm-hmm. the way society is just structured from its incep- conception has just always protected men and and that's well, the way it's it was created be. by men they 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 did this to by, themselves <laughs> yeah and it's like and i just wanted to say like how what a hypocrisy it is that like like for example take the most known well case of rape that went to the Supreme Court, the Brock Turner Stanford rape case, right? They were, they didn't want to ruin his life because he was like on, a, on the right track to become a pro swimmer, or whatever. I don't even remember. It's not even relevant. Um, so they gave him like what the minimum sentence for raping an unconscious girl. And they're like, oh, like we're doing this because we don't want to jeopardize his future. But then think about this girl her future is already ruined because now she has to deal with the trauma of being raped for the rest of her life. Does that not matter to you? You know, why is his future more important? Because he's a man. Because he's a man. And that just boggles my mind, you know? I mean, I feel like we've seen it time and time again. So at this point, it doesn't really shock me. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like it sh- it's just so unjust. Like, it's so unethical and it's just so unjust. And it's like nobody, nobody puts emphasis on the trauma. Like, because there's no way to quantify drama, because everybody's into statistics, right? Like, personal stories mm-hmm. hold no value. It's all statistical. And how do we quantify this? And what percentage is that? Blah, blah, blah. But nobody quantifies how long a person has to not only heal from trauma, but then carry that trauma. And most of the time, 
when you're dealing with really traumatic events like this, it's the rest of your life. But when you're dealing with a, um, you know, a rapist and they have potential, they have potential for the future. Well, they weren't you, raped. They were, they're not, they don't have to suffer for trauma the rest of life. Good for them. You know? Yeah. They, they already went through us through, through so much during this case. Like they suffered enough. And I'm just like, uh, it's just, it, it, because there it's because the data doesn't, side with the victims because we're so focused on evidence and concrete scientific quantitative proof it is so so challenging however this is like a side note and this could be a totally different podcast Mm -hmm. episode because the stem field is primarily men i do think that once we see more women study sexual violence and in particular like rape kits and looking at like female genitalia because that's also something that's totally understudied you ask any family practitioner how much they learned about the vagina they'll tell you that it was like a subcategory behind like four pages of the penis Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyways but i feel like when we have more women in stem we'll do a little bit more research and we'll be able to find more quantitative information but doesn't mean that's just doesn't mean that this is like the way our society does everything is the best way but it just Mm. means that I think that because it's been so underdeveloped in psychological studies and scientific studies, I hope to see a little bit of a better shift in like qualitative research and actually give a little bit of the survivor some scientific like concrete background. This is also a taboo topic. So like doing Mm. research on this also is like, not ethical because you can't manufacture this type of stuff you have to look at like real cases so it's a big 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 long system and problem in itself but it doesn't make anything any more just even if we get to that place where there's a, a concrete way of knowing yes or no he's a rapist he's not a rapist or they're a rapist they're not a rapist but it's because of the way our our society is structured it's so so hard to to see any other future beyond the structure that we have unless we overthrow the government because i'm down just tell me when abolish the patriarchy yeah (laughs) we get rid of them (laughs) yeah yeah and that that would be you know quite an endeavor so uh, that won't happen anytime soon so we gotta you know figure out what we can do not what we can do. It sucks because it's not on us, you know, mm-hmm. but we somehow, you know, have to deal with like every part of it, which is unfortunate because it's not our fault. It's, it's another complexity with being a woman because we are more oppressed than men, mm-hmm. but we still have to solve these oppressions that men put onto us, which is really just the cherry on top. Well, they have no incentive to change because nothing's forcing them to change, right? Mm -hmm. The world works in their favor. They rape girls, get away with it, and then the world continues for them. So what's, you know, why change anything? To be a man. Mm -hmm. Honestly, though, I would hate it. Um, I I don't think it's for me. Yeah. Apparently when I was little, I wanted, for two days, I told my mom I wanted to be a boy. She was like... (laughs) She was like, okay, cool. Someone probably explained you the patriarchy and then you were like, 
Yeah, this girl thing sucks. No thanks. <laughs> That's definitely my thought process at like six years old. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I guess wrapping up, like, what, where do you think we need? This isn't like me calling on you to, you know, break the glass ceiling because that's not your responsibility either. But where do you think change needs to be made? If we're making a call to McGill, like what would you tell McGill right now if they were listening? To treat rape as a criminal offense. Snaps for and, <laughs> and to treat rapists as the criminal that they are criminals that they are and kick them out of school or give them some kind of rehabilitation some kind of therapy like teach them that that's not the way to do it fix them like i'm not saying i'm not for the prison system shoving everyone away and punishing them and you know making them worse off as people i'm all for like go to therapy like get help like, clearly this guy who raped those four girls, something's wrong in his head. And he clearly needs help. And he should be given that. Not just some measly consent training that we all have to do, that you don't even have to pay attention to to pass it. Oh, yeah. Actually, we forgot to mention. Mm. In his open letter, agree, like, basically stating that he, was, he had raped those girls, he said that he's working on it and that he has done the McGill It's On Us training. I think it's in, it's on us, or is it like so? It's some sort of consent module. Yeah. Which I don't know if anyone's done a module Hot in their life. Topic: Some of the people administering the consent training are rapists themselves. Oh, I actually just found that out right now. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Okay, maybe that's a different episode because I don't know much about this, but I <laughs> maybe we should we... not include that in this episode. Maybe that's a whole other thing. But I just I thought that was the most appalling thing for me. How are boys supposed to be taught not to rape when the people teaching them not to rape rape? Well, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have the answer. I don't think so either. Until next time on another episode. (laughs) (laughs) To a series of episodes. Yeah, what the fuck is going on at McGill and at every single other university? Question mark. Yeah. Hmm. And that's the tea. And that's the tea. And we don't know what to do about it, so please, do you have any ideas? (laughs) I mean, like, I think rapists are super intermingled into a lot of institutions because in I think our second year in 2018 Mm -hmm. three professors at McGill were accused of sexual assault Mm -hmm. um in particular two like minority students um and all McGill did was he they moved he I'm calling McGill a he now well Uh, (laughs) acts like it um McGill moved one of the one of the professors offices off of campus for like less than eight months and then that was it and they're still there they're still here (laughs) okay well that's uplifting yeah good way to end the 
anyway, but, but I guess, I guess on a positive note, I did just want to talk about how sharing your story and opening up about it has some positive qualities to it because I know this whole podcast, I've been shitting on the way everything happened after I opened my mouth. And I will say at the time, it felt like a major inconvenience and I wish I hadn't. But I can say that today, having from the day, second day that it happened, sharing that with people and even though, you know, a lot of parts weren't good, I think it did kickstart my healing process. And I think that by being open about it and having conversations with people, and with people I mean mostly my friends and the people in my life that really care for me and love me and that aren't like representatives of the system. Um, having those conversations really, really, really helped. And as sad as it is to say, most people have had an experience like this and talking to people and realizing that and coming face to face with that, you know, was painful to realize, but also it makes you feel much less alone and it helps you realize that you are not to blame. And I know in this day and age, like we all know that the victims aren't to blame, at least like all feminists and people who have done some reading and research know that the victim is never to blame. But at that time when that happened to me, I didn't really know that that was a thing. So if anyone is hearing this right now and they're feeling embarrassed and shame and guilt because they think that they're responsible for their own experience of sexual violence, you aren't and you are not alone. And please, you know, get, get in touch with some resources. We wanted to suggest some uh, amazing resources that we have here at McGill. Um, one is Ospurst. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Ospurst. Ospurst. Yeah. Oh my God. One of my best friends worked there. I'm so sorry I didn't get the name right. Um, but um, the, do, the things that they do there is incredible. Um, it stands for the Office for Sexual Violence Response Support and Education. Um, and it, it does what the acronym stands for, Sexual Violence Response. It helps survivors gain access to resources for reporting if they want, um, support supporting survivors, and education, providing education on sex and sexual violence to Miguel. Um, and the website is super helpful, so be sure to check that out. Uh, we should probably include it in the bio or something of the... We'll put it in the bio for the podcast for sure. And then there's SACCOMS, mm -hmm. which stands for the Sexual Assault Center of the McGill Student Society, and that's also another great resource for any survivors. Um, and we will also link that. So please, please, please uh, look at those resources. I know I wasn't given any resources um, when that happened to me, and I would have, you know, loved to have them at the time. So please, please, please be sure to check that out. Absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you, Ava, for coming on the podcast and sharing your experience and story with me. I really, really do appreciate it, and I do back everything you said. I think that we are slowly moving into a more survivor-centric society. And I think that if anybody has experienced any form of sexual violence, both of these institutions will support you in whatever you want to do. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's whatever 
path you want to take in your healing process, whether that's going the, you know, the legal route or whether that's just doing some, you know, personal therapy and taking the time to yourself and figuring out how to have agency and autonomy over your body again. Um, but yeah, I really do just appreciate you coming on the pod and talking with me. I think that Thank this episode so is so great. Um, I'm so excited we were able to reflect on our our university. I don't usually talk about McGill that much here. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see how sexual violence and McGill intersect. And um, I'm really excited to release this. So it's going to stir the pot, I'm sure. It's what I came here to do. It's what I was born to do. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really, you know, thought this was a really meaningful discussion. And I'm really honored that you let me, you trusted me to be a part of your wonderful brainchild. Oh, I, you are welcome to come on all the time. And mm-hmm. saying that, we are creating something extra special on our Instagram page at Ladies Let's Talk About Sex. Ava is going to be hosting an after show. So if you want to hear more about the conversations that we're having, more about the discussions, different guests, hear more from Ava, make sure to check us out at Ladies Let's Talk About Sex on Instagram for all of the details about that after show. And we'll also provide the sexual violence resources there as well. Thank you for listening to the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. Make sure to subscribe and like the podcast and check us out on Instagram at Ladies Let's Talk About Sex for weekly episodes every Monday. Thanks for listening.